Welcome to the Gaggle Podcast, where we bring you inside the newsroom to talk Arizona politics beyond what's in print. I'm Michael Squires, the politics editor at the Arizona Republic and azcentral.com. And joining me this week in our Arizona Capitol Bureau are... Dustin Gardner, state legislative reporter. Ron Hansen, I cover the congressional delegation. Mary Jo Pitzel, I write about child welfare issues. This week on the Gaggle, the state's Department of Child Safety is facing a class action lawsuit... And Vice President Mike Pence visits Phoenix with Governor Doug Ducey in tow, and they're talking about Republicans' plans to remake the tax code. But we start with Arizona's 2018 Senate race, which just got more interesting with the entry of Congresswoman Kirsten Sinema. Ron, how does this change the dynamics of that race? Boy, it it makes it that much more complicated, I think, for Senator Jeff Flake um, at the moment. He's had a fairly... Uh, serious challenge to his right with former state senator Kelly Ward. And now the Democrats finally have the the kind of top-tier candidate that they had been expecting all along. And what Kirsten Sinema brings is sort of this moderate, centrist Democrat who's very good at raising money, by the way, who can come in there and sort of, uh, you know, create issues for Flake to his left, but not real far to the left. It's kind of a a moderate record that is going to be uh, standing in sharp contrast to what we see on the, uh, what's playing out in the Republican primary. So I think it's really kind of just creating uh, another uh, sort of two front war there for for Jeff Flake. Ron, uh, does this mean that uh, Deidre Abood, who is a Democrat who is in the race, is, does this pretty much discount her ability to win her primary? Well, I'm not sure she ever had a great shot at winning the primary. There was always, you know, some expectation that some well-known Democrat would enter this race, uh, whether it would be more at the municipal level or or larger. Um, but I think that Abood still has a role to play. If she stays in this race, as many expect her to, I think it's going to create a a sharper contrast in the Democratic uh, primary season, and it it just keeps her out there for, you know, whatever ultimately she may want to do uh, beyond this race. Well, we'll talk about her, but she's a more unknown quantity. Who who is she and, and kind of where does she sit on the political spectrum? Mary Jo? Um, she is yeah, more in the Bernie Sanders mold of the uh, party. She is a Democrat, though, registered. She's not an independent like, um, like, like Sanders. And so she uh, is going to push more, uh, more, more of the progressive agenda than I think we will hear coming from cinema uh, as the primary goes on. Uh, I guess one question I have, does, this, does Kirsten Cinema fit the mold as a more centrist Democrat of of sort of what the party thinks can win statewide in Arizona. I mean, they have not, you know, who was the last Democrat to win statewide in Arizona? The Napolitano? Napolitano and Goddard. Right. And you also have a couple of uh, Democrats for the Corporation Commission. Um, but again, that's kind of a lower wattage, if I can get away with that. Um, <laughs> race. We'll, we'll allow it. As, uh, as it relates to the utility commissioners. Um, yeah, I mean, for Democrats... Kirsten Cinema is sort of uh, the deal you make to try and win this race ultimately next November. It's someone who's going to disappoint you on a number of different individual issues and votes, but she hopefully will be able to rein in more independents and, and uh, maybe peel off some Republicans if, for example, Kelly Ward were to secure the nomination for the Republicans. That's the thinking on the left. 
Um, whether she's able to ultimately do that is another matter. Uh, party loyalty seems to carry a lot of weight these days. The other week I was talking to someone who's on the advisory committee for a candidate who will not be named, who is running statewide, but it's on the GOP ticket. And their concern at the time was that if cinema gets in, that changes the dynamics of races all up and down the ballot because it will bring out a lot more younger voters and a lot more independents. So she's a good fundraiser. We've already talked about her being more moderate. C can we tick off some of these issues where she might have disappointed, angered, whatever her, the Democratic base? I, mean, I think the refugee situation, what else is there? She's been, uh, she has talked about Republicans just generally in very uh, accommodating, friendly terms, uh, even including people like Russell Pierce at one point, um, who was uh, the author and, and driver of Senate Bill 1070, the immigration enforcement law back in the day. So I think there's some sense in the immigrant community, for example, that Kirsten Cinema has not had their back on uh, some of these issues. I should note that uh, on the DACA issue regarding uh, the, the children of immigrants uh, who are not U.S. citizens and whose uh, status here has not been resolved, she has been supportive of the Democratic position generally on that. So this is sort of just one window into, you know, the, sort of the complex positioning that uh, Kirsten Sinema presents for Democrats. Uh, they might not be happy with her view on uh, immigration enforcement tactics, but ultimately on the, uh, the broader issue of, of, you know, accommodating those who are here in the millions in some cases, uh, she has been supportive and, and right there for the Democrats. So Senator Jeff Flake is already facing a, a GOP primary with uh, state, former state Senator Kelly Ward. Um, and a lot of people watch that Alabama uh, Senate race where you had the, the, the candidate further to the right, Roy Moore, uh, carry the day despite a lot of money, I think about $10 million coming in from the more establishment wing of the Republican Party, including Mitch McConnell, the Senate Majority Leader. His Senate uh, Leadership Fund put in a ton of money. After that, they kind of put out this dour assessment of how their kind of Republican is going to fare. Um, I'm, one of the takeaways was the, the electorate's still angry. Uh, electing Trump didn't do anything to, to you know, uh, dissipate that, them being upset with the establishment. Were there any other takeaways you think from for uh, Senator Flake from that report? I think the anti-establishment, the outsider uh, versus Washington insider kind of dynamic is really important uh, as it relates to the Alabama race. That uh, and it's just kind of odd because Luther Strange was not exactly uh, a member of the Senate for very long in the first place, but that. Um, he had had some ties to a disgraced governor uh, who had put him into that position in the first place. Um, the idea that you just have this position and, and people will just sort of uh, suggest that it's yours and they bequeath it to you and, and the voters are just supposed to ratify that, I think that clearly didn't fly in Alabama. And someone who had positions that are pretty far outside the mainstream, uh, even among Republicans, uh, the idea that they can just sort of run away with it is also something that can be somewhat uh, unsettling if you are someone who's been a career conservative who has sort of played within the understood rules as we've known them for a generation. Uh, Kelly Ward comes in and is unabashedly pro-Trump. 
She's had sort of a, an endorsement of sorts from him already. Jeff Flake uh, clearly is not uh, among the, Sen- the president's favorites in the Senate. Um, those are the kinds of dynamics that sort of have played out in Alabama and elsewhere that I think are troubling and, and suggest that Jeff Flake is going to have to uh, uh, find a message that resonates with conservatives who uh, still seem pretty enamored with the president and his policy approaches that, um, that seem to suggest that they want a lot more of a shakeup in Washington than what uh, someone who's been there for six years has delivered. So it's Ward versus Cinema. That would be an interesting race, uh, and and you know the thing to bear in mind with this is that um, you know Cinema's presence, in some ways, helps change the the news narrative of of who's in and and the the issues as they are covered, but Flake will have to defeat Ward first and then turn to cinema. Uh, there's going to have to be a pivot. He doesn't have to do them at the same time. It just has to be survive the primary and then move into the general election. Um, so the idea is, can can he beat back Kelly Ward? Well, you know, it certainly seems possible. The polls are not in his favor at the moment. Um, but the Ward versus cinema race would really present uh, some interesting dynamics for predicting how Arizona voters will make sense of it all. Mary Joe, the Department of Child Safety faces a class action lawsuit. What are they accusing the state child welfare agency of? This lawsuit, which was actually filed two years ago, says that Arizona's foster care system is failing the children that are in it. Uh, it names a number of children, um, two of whom are still in the system, and all the shortcomings that they and the troubles that they have faced, not getting services, being moved around from home to home, uh, being told everything is fine, even after a child did what might be considered a suicidal attempt. So the the goal of this lawsuit, which is being brought by the Center for uh, Arizona Center for Law and the Public Interest and a New York-based group called Children's Rights, they want changes to the to the foster care system. So it's filed two years ago, but it just recently got the class action status. Just late last week, a federal judge uh, certified it as a class action. So that means it'll go forward. There are trials expected in the spring, and it would be on behalf of all the kids that are in the system now or in the future. So you say they want changes, but some of those could come with a price tag. Uh, The state has, in well, since 2012, put considerable money into that agency, Uh, Did they talk money at all? No, no, they're not talking money. They want changes. And of course, the agency, and and also I should mention that the Arizona Healthcare Cost Containment System, Arizona's Medicaid program, is also part, is also being sued because they are the ones that provide the medical and dental behavioral health services for these kids. But the state's response is generally from DCS is, look, we're already making changes. We're already improving it. We've got a plan, you know, back off and just let us roll with our plan. And that didn't set well with the judge. But one can imagine that if you're 
talking about improvements, yes, that there will be a dollar sign attached to that. So is this a, an approach that uh, child safety advocates or child welfare advocates have taken in, in other states? Yes. Um, we uh, had one up in uh, Nevada or in Clark County that was just recently settled. And actually there was a price tag on that one. It was $2 million, which in the scheme of things seems pretty small. Um, and Tennessee um, was subject to one of these types of lawsuits for about 17 years and they just were released from their court oversight because they have successfully made the changes. I think what this tells us is that any change that happens, even if this results in a um, in a positive verdict for the plaintiffs, it's going to be a long time coming. And that's a lot of kids' lives. So you also wrote uh, in recent days that the Department of Child Safety, before they remove a child, will soon be required to get a warrant from a judge. Um, you and I have talked about whether that's a big change or not. Where do you, where do you, how does it seem to you a, as you've reported on this further? Well, it's certainly a very hot-button issue, and a lot of critics of the Department of Child Safety are just furious that the state has been removing kids from their homes without getting uh, court approval. You know, they said, look, you come in a, you, to search my house, you got to have a warrant. You certainly have to have that for children, and that violates the Fourth Amendment to the U.S. Constitution. There's a big debate, though, about what when this warrant rule actually takes effect, which is scheduled for July 1 of next year, what that will do. I've talked to people at DCS who think that, you know, it's not going to make that big of a difference because there is an exception for urgent, they call them exigent circumstances. And DCS maintains that, you know, well, all their removals or almost all of them are for exigent circumstances. That seems to be belied by a lot of the stories that I hear from parents who, you know, believe that there's rather frivolous uh, reasons for that. Um, there's also the difference with this warrant process is it will be electronic. So it'll speed things up. So if you're a caseworker and you're at a house and you're saying, oh, boy, things don't look really great here, but you've got currently now to get before a judge, you've got to drive a long distance. You've got to wait till the court is open. This new process will allow them to file things electronically. There'll be somebody there 24-7. So the thinking is you won't need to take the kid because you can get to a judge pretty quickly and then let him or her sign off on it. So as the debate goes around about will this really make a difference, I, you know, I think you just got to do it and then you got to find out. But, you know, right now I think we, the state removed about 5,500 kids um, a month uh, during the last reporting period. So the hope is that that will bring that down. So Dustin, Vice President Mike Pence came to Phoenix this week to sell the Republicans tax plan. Why did he choose Phoenix? You know, it's pretty friendly territory coming to a red state like Arizona. And also, Pence is close with Governor Doug Ducey. Governor Ducey has made tax reform a big part of his platform. So you've got a friendly governor in a friendly state. So uh, you tagged along. They went to a, a local restaurant, Ajo Al's, is that right? Yeah, Ajo Hal's in North Central Phoenix. And there were some Ar Arnold Palmer's and iced teas to be uh, to be downed there. 
Uh, what, what was the response? I think this was like a hand-selected crowd there, correct? Yeah, it was a very highly choreographed event. Um, they showed up to the restaurant, and the restaurant was empty uh, aside from a handful of tables where these pre-selected business owners and their family members were sitting, and they'd mostly finished eating, and each table had an extra iced tea and Arnold Palmer uh, and some chips set aside for Ducey and Pence as they worked the room. And the rest of the restaurant was filled with Secret Service and political insiders, um, and it, yeah, it just seemed very, very highly scripted or choreographed before they got there. I'm, I am enjoying imagining that. Dustin, I got a question. I, I want to test the resolve of Ducey and Pence. Did any of them dive into those chips? You know, I don't think they even touched the chips. Pence had a little bit of his Arnold Palmer, and Ducey, I don't think, had a sip of his iced tea, so there were some wasted beverages around the room. They do a mean Arnold Palmer. <laughs> it, they look good, I would say. <laughs> so this is the... Uh, with Governor Ducey there backing, of course, this is not a plan going through the, the state legislatures. This is on Capitol Hill in Washington. Uh, but him sort of kind of giving this full-throated endorsement of what the Republicans are doing in Washington. And this coming after he also endorsed the effort to repeal the Affordable Care Act. What, what's going on with the governor in this respect, where he seems to really be dipping into the national Republican policy? Well, the governor's always, you know, touted his pledge to reduce taxes every year, and he's always prided himself on being someone who wants to reform taxes. The cuts in the state so far have been small. Uh, maybe next year will be a chance for him to push something bigger, though the budget is looking fairly tight, according to the governor's office. Ron, uh, you and I met with uh, Congressman David Schweikert, who has had a hand in drafting this plan. And I guess, I think, honestly, we're being a little generous in calling it a plan. It's basically just a sketch of what they want to do. Can you boil down what sort of their points are or what the things they want to accomplish with this are? Well, David Schweiker uh, would say and has that number one is uh, they want to accomplish a few things just as a matter of uh, tax fairness and tax competitiveness on, say, corporate income tax side and such. Another thing that he talks about that I think has been sort of a second-tier priority is to boost growth with this. So economic growth is a way of trying to uh, generate enough future revenues down the road that will help support this uh, federal budget that is increasingly reliant on uh, paying entitlement programs. So it's sort of a double-barrel approach. They want to cut taxes that they think are hurting American competitiveness and uh, in corporate affairs. They also want to do some things in terms of uh, individual taxes to try and create better uh, outcomes and fairness for uh, individuals. And then uh, also with the, uh, the, com the long-term economic growth that they, they just need to see more of it or you start running into these really ugly uh, math problems, as Schweikert likes to talk about, with uh, financing Social Security, Medicare, and Medicaid, and so on. So you can check me. You're in the room, too. See if, if my memory of this or my paraphrase of what he was saying. But he seemed to be casting it like, okay, we've had this big, you know, the, this big tax code that's just kind of accrued all these, you know, annoying, uh, or not annoying, but just kind of politically driven changes over the years. And... We, we've had an opportunity to kind of roll that back to, to the beginning and just kind of rethink the whole thing. Seemingly saying, well, our effort here is not going to be politically driven. Am I wrong? No, I'd, I'd say that's probably about right as far as how he characterizes it uh, in terms of what it will ultimately accomplish. Uh, you know, we'll see. Um, there are some selective... Um, 
things that are still on the table and, and things that have not been mentioned with regard to overhauling the tax code that uh, make it seem like this has been sort of driven by uh, an end goal rather than any, you know, real uh, deep search for the truth. Um, we have, for example, uh, uh, you know, all these 70,000 pages of, in the tax code. Well, they're there for the special interests, and yet a lot of those special interests are not being addressed and, and you know, squarely by uh, the plan such as it is. And, and the plan really is, I think, more accurately described as sort of some goals. Um, it hasn't moved a heck of a lot farther than it was back in April when it was rolled out by the White House uh, in advance of the 100-day marker for the administration. So, I mean, there's a lot of vagueness. There's a lot of important tax issues that usually are on the table and and discussed in some detail and and scored for their economic costs and and trade-offs and such. And we just really haven't seen a lot of that to this point. We just continue to cling to things like cutting corporate taxes, and cutting uh, income brackets and simplicity as if simplicity is the goal of this tax exercise in the first place. So on a scale of one to 10, given that the Republicans failed to repeal Obamacare, how important is it that they get this done, something done that they can hold up and say, hey, voters, you didn't elect us for nothing? By that measure, I would say it's an 11. They they really need a political victory. And this is one that I think is both important because of the failure of uh, their efforts on health care, but also because of the centrality to a lot of the Republican messaging, that this is this is in their wheelhouse. There's a lot of, I think, support for things that, um, that they could push as part of this package. But, uh, you know, just as a political matter, they really need to show that they can govern effectively and accomplish something that they're core base supports and wants and needs to see. To that point, at the Pence event where Governor Ducey showed up, one of the business owners brought up health care and they said their costs have gone up so much since the Affordable Care Act that they aren't able to cover all the costs they used to cover for their employees. Um, and when Vice President Pence was questioned on that, he basically just said the governor or the president is so focused on tax reform this fall, but we'll get to it eventually. And the people in the room kind of laughed a little bit because he said, we'll get back to it. But it was, I think, obvious from the the failures so far just to repeal that, that he didn't have a lot of enthusiasm. Yeah, he probably didn't intend that as a laugh line. Right, exactly. <laughs> So for our final segment, uh, what are you watching for this week, Mary Jo? Uh, Again, on the DCS front, I'm looking for data on um, how many people took up the state on its offer for free tuition to go to social work school in exchange for working two years at DCS. I'm hearing there have been a lot of defaults. Ron? Well, Kirsten Sinema's entry into the Senate race creates uh, an opening for her seat in the House side, and it's uh, something we'll be looking for uh, people jumping in on both the Democratic and Republican side for that open seat. Dustin? I'm watching the governor's water policy talks and this escalating feud between his water resources department and CAP, the Central Arizona Project, the agency that manages the canal through the center, center part of the state. That's it for today. Thank you for listening to the Gaggle Podcast. You can find me on Twitter at MG Squires. At Dustin Gardner. 
You can follow me at Ronald J. Hansen. That's H-A-N-S-E-N. And I'm at Mary J. Pitzel, P-I-T-Z-L, on Twitter. Thanks to the politics team. Our production team is Jojo Huckaba, Haley Sanchez, and Kayla White. Please subscribe to the show and review it on Apple Podcasts, SoundCloud, Stitcher, or Google Play. We'll see you next week. We'll see you next week.